0: what one thing puts our church most at risk? We've got kids in here from a month old all the way up to people in their 70s. We've got families here. We've got single households. We've got widowers. We've got young marrieds. What puts our church most at risk? What puts each one of us, whether a young child or an adult in retirement, what puts each one of us most at risk? What really, what puts us most at risk to be unfit to adorn the good news of Jesus? That's what we're talking about right now. What does it mean to adorn the good news of Jesus? We're walking through the book of Titus, but the question is, like, what puts us all at risk? Like, The call is, hey, live lives that make the good news of Jesus attractive. What, like, What is that thing that whether you're young or old, a new believer, a seasoned believer, a mature believer, what puts us all at risk? Is it messages that we hear? Is it moral failings? We could name a number of things that put us at risk, but today we're going to be looking at a passage that says, that talks about the one thing we all have in common that puts us at risk to be unfit for good work, to be unfit to adorn the gospel. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book, the letter of Titus. Today, we're going to be reading Titus 1, verses 10 through 16. If you you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seat in front of you. Titus, remember, is a letter that's written to a a talented, strong-willed young pastor on an island that's known for its wildness. Paul's kind of special forces assistant goes in. To the island of Crete where things are crazy, and he writes him a letter laying out for him, this is what you need to know so that the church in Crete and so that the church in Belgium can know what it means and live out what it means to live lives that make the gospel attractive. Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Verse 10 says, For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things that they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. Let's pray. God, as we open Your Word, we know that we are hearing from You. Help us to know deeply what it means for us to guard the teaching In our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16 lay out for us the thing that puts us most at risk is deceptive and false teaching. And so the call in this passage is guard the teaching so that we don't become unfit for adorning the good news. What I want to show you here is these four elements of guarding the teaching in Titus 1, 10 through 16. First, Paul tells us, silence deceivers, so you can prevent their damage. Verses ten and eleven say, For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced, because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. He starts out saying, In your on this island, and Titus, what's going to come into the church is going to be deceivers who come in with empty talk and it's going to turn entire households upside down. There is this emphasis here on, on words. We live in an age that says, give me deeds, not words. Teaching doesn't matter, just show me what you do. But this passage says, no, you can actually disrupt entire households, entire churches, and entire islands with deceitful and empty talk. Paul says, Titus, silence them. Do not let them speak. The, the, The passage says, especially those of the circumcision group, he's referring to people that come in and say, you've got to become a Jew first. Then you can become a Christian. Titus is a living example that that's not true because he was born a Greek, didn't have to be circumcised to become a Christian. And Paul sends him out in ministry to Corinth and now to Crete. And he says, Titus, silence people that add to the good news of Jesus and say, here are the extra things you've got to do before God will accept you. And he points out, they have to be silenced because they're disrupting. They're turning upside down. They're turning households on this island upside down by teaching things that they ought not to teach. for dishonest gain. What This points us to the fact that deceitful teaching does great damage. It does huge damage. Rather than saying teaching matters less, we have to raise the bar and say, no, the teaching that I hear and the teaching that my kids hear and the teaching that my friends hear has to be true or else it will turn a whole households upside down. This isn't just a passage for church leaders. This isn't just something that says, Joe, be very careful to teach what's true. That tells each one of us, we must actually guard the teaching. So that we don't become unfit for adorning the gospel. We want to adorn the gospel and the teaching that we listen to. So the books that we read, the, the social media pages that we follow, the, the, the YouTube videos that we watch and the podcasts that we listen to, they will shape us and can do great damage in our lives. Deceitful teaching does, does great damage. It reminds me of in the book of James, this warning to the the church to guard their tongue because it's like a flame of fire that can... Light on fire an entire, entire person. This, The book of James points to the tongue doing great damage. And this passage is saying the, the, the words of the teachers that you listen to can do great damage, setting on fire your household. And so parents, silence false teaching that your kids hear. It reminded me this week that do I actually know the books that my kids read? Am I even paying attention as they they tell me the stories that they're reading? But it's important that we talk through and digest now as they can begin to read on their own. It's important that they hear good teaching. Adult, in your own life, don't tolerate deceitful teaching. Well, it's not that big of a deal. There's things that I like about it. Deceitful teaching twists the truth and can turn us all upside down. So one of the risks that we all run, whether young or old, whether we've been a Christian for a long time or a short time, is that deceitful teaching can cause us to swerve into the ditch doing great damage to our lives. The first step guarding the teaching is to silence deceivers to prevent damage. The second step is to rebuke false teaching to strengthen the faith of those Verses 12 through 14 say, one of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. This, is, this, whole, this series, I've been pointing to the fact that the island of Crete's a wild place. The teaching was all over the place. Their living was wild and all over the place says there were always liars and evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Gluttony in the Bible always runs hand in hand with wild partying. And so he's pointing to the fact that their their lives are wild and out of control. And he says, rebuke or expose. Rebuke or expose them sharply. Like sincerely, quickly. But Notice the purpose. We live in an age where people correct one another all the time. They tell us how to, they tell you how to parent and they tell you what choices to make here and what choices to make there. We live in a world that rebukes sharply, but we don't live in a world that does this. Verse 13 says, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. This isn't own the opposition. Point out how wrong they are so that you can win the argument. It's rebuke them sharply because your goal is that they be sound in the faith. Not just because you think that you're right and you want to put them down, but I, you know what? My goal for this false teacher is that they be established. My goal is for their good, not just to prevent damage. And so this passage calls us to hold two things at the same time. We can use the truth to correct, to rebuke, or to expose, while at the same time having the goal of, I want you to be strong. I want you to be strong. I want your life, false teacher, to be true, to not be shaken by the winds that the world brings. I'm called to hold these two things. Using the truth for their good to strengthen them. I'm reminded of a, a tower in New York City called the Citicorp Tower. And there's a, there was a property in New York City where the developer was able to buy all of the lots except for one of them. And it was owned by a church. And the church said, we will sell you our property if you do not tear down our building. Let us have this building and you can build your high-rise building around us, your skyscraper around us." And so what they did is they basically built the building up on a massive kind of cross stilt. And in one little corner is this cathedral church and the skyscraper is built up around it. Kind of a Seems like a dangerous little Jenga tower. But they, they built it, and they use special kinds of structures and special kind of plans to brace it so that the high winds that come in off of the ocean hitting New York City wouldn't knock the building down. And so they they did this really intricately, building it way up high. And then when the builder built it, he did something that's pretty typical in building a skyscraper, is he used shorter bolts than they would normally use, than the, the building called for. It's usually not that big of a deal because in a normal building, all of these different factors aren't at play. But in this building that's built up on stilts with this kind of cross-braced structure with shorter bolts, a college student doing an architecture program did an evaluation of the building and said, wait, if certain winds come in, it's going to knock that skyscraper down just kind of sent a message to the architect. They did some emergency measurements, but the building is already occupied. Businesses and organizations are already using it for their office space. And now, a kind of wind that's fairly typical in New York City could knock the entire building down simply because the bolts are now too short. So, the solution that they arrived at was after everybody got off work every evening, they sent in a team of, workers to go in and strengthen and lengthen the bolts didn't tell anybody which i wouldn't want to work in a building that's at risk of falling down uh if they didn't tell me and they just decided well well let's just fix it on the inside but what they were having to do is strengthen the building so that it would be sound all of the plans were right the bol- the bolts were just too short and so what they had to do is go in and strengthen the bolts so that the building would not be knocked down. And that reminds me what this passage is saying. that The rebukes that we're called to and the guarding of the truth that we're called to is like those workers going in and strengthening the bolts, saying, we don't want this building to fall down, and so we're going to use the truth to help strengthen the faith of those that oppose. And so the call to us is, do I actually want everyone to be sound in the faith? When I hear false teaching and I'm like, oh, do I really... Care to take the energy in this moment to correct it? Do I really in this moment want to filter out the false teaching? The call is, do we actually want people to be sound in the faith? Then we must rebuke to strengthen them. The third step guarding the teaching is to beware corrupting content. Verse 15 says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. He's talking about the, the teaching of those that the circumcision group he'd mentioned earlier in the past or in the passage. These, these people were coming in and saying, hey, this is a whole extra category. You didn't realize you're not allowed to touch these things. You're not allowed to taste these things. You're not allowed to do these things. And they're adding to God's word and saying, no, 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 this is the extra rules that you have to follow. These extra rules do not taste, do not touch end up adding to the good news of Jesus, and then begin to corrupt the minds and the consciences of those that listen. This this passage is saying that there is a kind of content that can corrupt the mind, corrupt the conscience, because it's rules made by men, not rules given by God. These people are saying, go back to Judaism, follow these extra rules, So we have to beware of corrupting content. The kind of teaching that says, well, here's something extra. It's not really written in the Bible, but this is actually really important if you want to be a Christian. Anything, Anybody that adds to God's word is actually corrupting the mind and corrupting the conscience with rules made by men. So what's going to derail us? The kind of teaching. Just a a little bit of teaching here, a little bit of twisting there that will corrupt us from the inside out. And we're called to beware. When we were redoing this building, we were nearing the end of the building project, and the bathroom, the men's bathroom on the other side here, was being redone. And The contractor called me to come in and look at it. And we looked at that wall, and because of moisture, the, the wall right over here, about half the length of the wall, had been filled with mold. What was really strange is if you look at it from this side, everything's okay. No paint was flaking off. There was nothing wrong with the wall from this perspective. But when we went around the back side, it was like, ooh, there's some mold here. So we should, we should probably take this part out. And as we like went through trying, oh, here's a little bit of mold, we ended up finding it spanned almost the length of the wall. We could have just gone on and said it's not that big of a deal, but the mold had gone through two layers of drywall. It was going through studs. It was spreading along the floor. We had to go in, tear all of it out, clean everything up, and then rebuild the wall. Because if we didn't, then months, years down the road, the entire wall would be rotted. There would be nothing that we could do with it. It would be corrupted from the inside out. Nobody would know. It would be corrupted from the inside out. That's what he's calling in this passage. Beware of that kind of thing. There is a kind of teaching that it's, okay at the time, but it will corrupt from the inside out. It's going to show its fruit later in your life, but your mind and your conscience will be corrupted. So beware of that kind of teaching. And so we must, we must as a church, beware of anything that causes us to turn away. We must actually be aware and know the teaching so that we can know, hey, this is actually adding to God's word. This sounds good, but it doesn't come from the Bible. This is spiritual language, but it's not God's word. Not his language. We must beware with our kids. We must beware in our own minds that we're not just taking on spiritual language, that we're actually taking on God's language and God's words and God's definitions. So the third step guarding the teaching is to beware the content that corrupts. And the fourth step is to evaluate the teaching so that we can be equipped for good works. Evaluate the teaching so that we're equipped for good works. Verse 16 says, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. This passage is a warning to silence false teachers, to guard the teaching. And he says, Evaluate the teaching and the lives of the ones that are teaching so that you don't become unfit for doing anything good. These teachers claim to know God. They use spiritual language. They say, look, here's spiritual truth. But their actions deny that they know Him. Their actions deny the power of the gospel in their own lives. And the end result of their teaching is that they are unfit for anything good. So the call to each of us is to evaluate the teaching that we hear, evaluate the lives of the teachers that we listen to, evaluate our own lives so that we don't become like false teachers unfit for good works. We want to adorn the gospel. But the the end of false teaching, the end of deception, the end of shading the truth is unfitness for anything good. We started this series in Titus. Thinking The the, the theme of the book is living lives that make the gospel attractive. Chapter 2 begins to talk about that. It's easy to begin to think, oh, the the book of Titus is just going to be about do, 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 do. It doesn't start there. You want to live lives that adorn the gospel? Guard the things that you listen to. Guard the, the people that you listen to. Guard the lives that you live so that you don't be unfit for any good work. So what's the purpose of teaching? What's the purpose of preaching? What's the purpose of learning in the Christian life? It's so that we can adorn the gospel. It's not separate from it central to it. We want to adorn the gospel and so we guard the teaching and we believe that it's precious and we won't listen to lies and we won't settle for spiritual language. We have to have God's words. This passage is also a warning to each one of us. It's a warning to each one of us because we begin to walk through the passage. Silence deceivers who prevent damage. I think if each one of us honest, we actually like Some of that deception that Satan brings along. We like some of his lies because they make us feel better about ourselves. We like the lies because they make us feel like, well, I can do this on my own. I'm better than everybody else. God doesn't know what he's doing. We prefer, we're called to rebuke, to strengthen the faith of those that teach false things, but we prefer popularity with other people. And so we won't put ourselves out there correcting in hope of the soundness of their faith. We prefer popularity, and so we won't rock the boat. Instead of being aware of corrupting content that erodes us from the inside out, corrupting our minds and our consciences, we prefer our own righteousness. We feel, well, I'm okay just the way that I am. And instead of evaluating the lives of the teachers we listen to, and instead of evaluating our own lives, we deny Jesus by our works. We're just as bad as the ones that Titus is pointing to. We're the ones that say we know God, but in our lives, we actually deny Him. So in a passage like this, where's the good news? Where's the good news for us? This passage sits in judgment over us. Instead, we find that Jesus... Who perfectly silenced deceivers, correcting those that needed correcting for the soundness of the earth? He's the one that wept over the Pharisees and the, the ones that turned away and that would not listen to him. He's the one that wept over them, doing and fulfilling this passage in our place. He's the one that died as a deceiver and a false teacher. He's the one that died in our place, even though we preferred the lies. Jesus. Is the one who was not corrupted by anything in the world, wasn't corrupted by anybody else's standards, and yet died as a lawbreaker in our place. Jesus is the one who claimed to know God and was God, and yet died mocked in our place. So that instead of looking at this and going, let's try harder, this passage calls us to trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus, knowing that he guards the teaching in and through us. It's not a standard for us to reach out for. It's actually a, a standard for us to reach out from. We can guard the teaching. Because Jesus was cut off for our, in our place. Maybe you go, how can I know for sure? Maybe you're a guest. Maybe you're young, maybe you're old. How can I know for sure that Jesus is the one who guards the teaching in my place, setting me free from the, the, the message of the deceivers and the damage of the deceivers? How can I know that this is for me? The Bible tells us that God made the world. He made the world and he put humans in it to care for it, to shepherd it, to represent him to the world. The language of the Bible is that God is the great king, and he made humans to be little kings, representing him throughout the world. And Adam and Eve and everyone after them said, no, we will not, we will not live your way. We will not represent you to the world. We will represent our own kingdoms. We will live our own lives in our own ways. The Bible says that the, the wages of sin, that rebellion against God is death, spiritual death and physical death. But instead of leaving us there, the Bible tells us that God came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised to new life so that all who turn away from sin, living their own ways in their own rebellion, but instead turn and take Jesus and take his obedience and take his righteousness, take his guarding the teaching in their place, can be restored into fellowship with God so that we can then begin to live new lives now with the promise that one day we will live with him forever in his kingdom in heaven. That one day we won't have to guard the teaching anymore because each one of us will know God as he is. We will see him as he is. And so the promise of the gospel is turn away from rebellion and take Jesus. And then you become a member of the family. This passage says guard the teaching so that we can adorn the gospel. That's the gospel we're called to adorn. And we must guard that kind of teaching jealously. Then we can begin to imagine what does that do in the world? What does that look like for a church to guard the teaching as a gift to the world? Because we want soundness of faith for Belgium, for Washington, for Random Lake, for Adel. We want soundness of teaching in each one of the communities around us. And we're not going to settle for less because we want to see people built up in the faith. We want to see people free from the corrupting content of the world and of false teachers. We're here with a gift, not for selfish gain. We're here as a gift. And so we can guard the teaching in our families, not because we're trying to push the world away, but because we believe that as a family, as individual families and a church family, we can be a city on a hill, a beacon for soundness of faith, adorning the gospel, adorning the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you that you set the agenda for us and you call us to guard the teaching jealously for soundness of faith in our own lives and in the community around us. In Jesus' name, amen.